Warning, this episode contains adult language and adult humor. Since when have trumpet players ever been considered adults? If you are easily offended by these types of conversations, consider switching to the oboe. Welcome to the Trumpet Gurus Hang Podcast. I'm your host, Jose Johnson. My featured guest for this special super hang is Wayne Bergeron. Wayne is one of the world's most highly respected trumpet players. He's a great player and a great guy. But despite all of his success, he's had his fair share of hardships too. So join us as Wayne shares his recent experiences of battling cancer. Oh, and we are joined by some very special guests that make this a supersized hang you won't believe. So pour yourself a big glass, pull up a chair, and let the hang begin. Welcome to the Trumpet Gurus Hang podcast, and I am so happy to have with me today, Mr. Wayne Bergeron. Wayne was my first guest on my very first episode of this, and uh, I'm just so happy to have him back, mostly because we're going to talk a lot about uh, some of the stuff that he's been going through recently, and uh, I think it's going to be really uh, inspirational to a lot of you, and just just a fun hang. So, wayne I'll try to be fun. You know, I want to drag. I can be. Yeah, I, I know, man. You, 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 you look great. You look great, man. Thank you, man. I'm, uh, I'm 50 pounds. What was the date of our last show? Man, it was in, oh, hell, I don't even remember. Uh, it was 30, 33 weeks ago, 34 weeks ago. So whatever that is, I can't do math, man. You know? Oh, 33 weeks ago? So it was before I started my treatments, though, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you had, okay. you had just... You I've probably been diagnosed, yeah. Yeah, you had just been diagnosed because uh, I was in the hospital, actually. I'd just gotten out of the hospital. That's right. And you, you and Barb were messaging back and forth to, to me and my wife about me. That's and then right. I, I, I get out and find out that you've got more serious shit going on. So uh, yeah. then we, yeah, we were just like, I'm back and forth for, for quite a while. But uh, Yeah, it... Uh... But it's all kind of got a happy ending, you know, because, uh, uh, you know, I went, I started my treatments on uh, May 11th and I finished on June 29th. Mm-hmm. So 35 radiations, uh, seven weeks of chemo. And then uh, I have to wait, I had to wait for everything to heal because the tumor was over here. I wait for everything to heal. And so I just got my PET scan this month. So on November 9th, I uh, got my PET scan, and then two days later, I got a call from the doctor um, giving me a uh, clean, clean bill of health for the, for the time being, for sure, anyway. You know, so, man, that was, you can imagine, best Thanksgiving ever for Cheers me. Cheers to yeah. you, my friend. Yeah, Jose, thanks, man. And this is my first sip of <laughs> anything other than wine since I started my treatments. I stopped drinking completely, of course, so. Yeah, well, and, hopefully, uh, hopefully I'm good. doing that for you. Oh, well, thank you, my brother. Thank you, my brother. Oh, um, that's good. Oh my God. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. Part of the, the part of the reason for this is, I mean, one, I yeah, you know, I just love hanging with you. That that's just bottom line. But but you know, being a fellow cancer survivor, this is the this is a club that you're happy to welcome people to in one way, but in the other way, you hate having to know that someone else has gone has gone through the same thing so um you know i know for me that 
as as much as I feel like you know I'm unexceptional in so many ways, uh, my story hasn't impacted a lot of people just because of, of the things I've had to go through. And and for you, it's it's the same thing that now you you put yourself into a different you know because of circumstances you're now in a different world where you're able to impact people on a completely different level. And as great as it is to impact people as a trumpet player, the fact that you're going to be able to talk to people about things that are truly life or death, that takes your uh, impact to a completely different level. So, um, you know, I'm just, I'm so happy to be able to talk with you about this and to have you share because, man, for the past like month and a half, I have gotten all of these comments or questions from people on Messenger or things like that saying, hey, have you talked to Wayne? How is he doing? You know, I've heard he's doing okay or is he doing okay? So I'm just happy to be able to to put this out and to have you actually tell your story to people. So you are okay, as far as I can tell. I can, as far as you can, yeah. I'm, I'm, well, I'm okay. Is Am I okay? No. (laughs) (laughs) Got to get a clean uh, PET scan? Yes, I got a clean PET scan. Am I okay? I'm never okay. Yeah, well. I, I, you know, I lost 50 pounds through this ordeal. So I'm, you know, I'm I'm, uh, pretty, pretty trim right now. Oh, look at you. Sexy, sexy. I've been, I'm doing 60 sit-ups a day and I started, I'm doing Pilates uh-huh. around never but uh <laughs> i started that and uh that's you know anybody that's done that it's some it's pretty imp- pretty impressive so i'm trying to rebuild my core because of the weight loss my lips are thinner i'm not as strong you know you, you get used to playing against that mass so uh i'm trying to get my mojo back here i'm playing i've been playing for a while i played through the treatments you You're know just a beast was, man which was which was hard i when i started the treatments uh, you know, I planned on playing through it because I know Ryan Anthony was practicing, playing Mahler 5, he'd go do chemo, then go play Mahler 5, you know, and I would just, I couldn't believe me, such a beast, you know. Yeah. And so I said, well, I'll be okay, you know, but I didn't, you know, I didn't understand the radiation in conjunction with, with the chemo. So when uh, I started my chemo on a Monday, uh, I was fine Monday and Tuesday. When Wednesday hit, look out, you know, because they put nausea medication in the IV, you know, they put stuff in there and then they hydrate you and all that. Then they give you the chemo. Well, that takes a couple of days to kick in. And when it kicks in, you know, I, I mean, I was, I got so sick, uh, nauseous, but then they've got these meds in you that keep you from getting sick. So yeah. the nausea meds don't make you not nausea. They just keep a lid on it. Yeah. Yeah. So you wish you could throw up, you know, but they don't want you to throw up. You know, and so you're fighting that. And then uh, uh, they let you know that the nausea medication causes constipation, but that should be in like big capital, bold letters with like a skull and crossbones next to it. I'm, I'm going to spare you the ugly details, <laughs> but it was an ugly week, man. Well, it's well, a point where I thought I was going to have to call uh, an ambulance one night. Man. Well, Wayne, I thought you would be used to it because, you know, everybody's told me that knows you for years that you're full of shit anyway. <laughs> <laughs> why did why did I not see that coming? <laughs> so it was a rough week. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. And I got so I stopped playing for about three weeks at that point. The trumpet was the furthest thing. I said, "Man, I mm-hmm. I'm just going to deal with this right now. There's no work. This COVID thing is happening. There's nothing happening, you know." So I was okay for a while, and uh, I got them to switch. Uh, they adjusted my medication. So when I did my next, I did chemo every three weeks. 
So when they did the next one, they put a new uh, drug in there and uh, it helped quite a bit actually. So, I, so then I was able to start playing again. But at that point, now the radiation treatments, which I did five days a week, they're starting to kick in. I know you didn't do radiation. We talked about right, that. You know? Right. So when, when that started kicking in, let me tell you, that was rough, you know, and, and there's much worse cancers than when I could, when I had, you know, I had HPV, uh, squamous cell carcinoma in my, in my neck here. There's He said, but there is no worse treatment. And he said, and uh, he said, uh, untreated, it will kill you. Mm -hmm. So that was, you know, three phrases I heard from him that day. This is two days after all my work from COVID went away. Everything I was doing was canceled. Right. Like 20 guest artists, concerts, a bunch of recording. So all of a sudden my income went from, you know, pretty good income to nothing. Yeah. And two days later I was diagnosed with cancer. So it's been a shitty fucking year. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember I, you, cause honestly, I remember that conversation with you because we were, we were talking like kind of right after I got out of the hospital, which is right before you got your diagnosis. And we were talking about how, you know, you're just getting ready to start your, season with like doing all your guest artist stuff and stuff like that and you're like shit man this is just this is just completely dried up and then like you know a few days later you're like well hey it just got worse <laughs> so when you thought things couldn't get any worse you know um, yeah but when i started you know back to playing when i when i did start playing again the radiation stuff started kicking in. so my throat was getting sore my skin was getting burnt uh my muscles and my neck were tightening up because the radiation, I still, my, I have to stretch. It's, you know, for the rest of my life, my mm -hmm. muscles will be tight. Right. So I have to, I have to stretch. And so my neck expands as everybody knows when I play, you know, I have a, this thing going on, you know, and uh, the muscles were so tight, it wouldn't let it expand. Mm -hmm. And it was hurting so bad. It was like swallowing glass. So trying to play the trumpet, <laughs> Uh, I, could, I could play a G on top of the staff, barely at four weeks in. So I practiced, I was practicing, I just practiced soft. I played what I could play. I played Clark study number one and two every day, just mm -hmm. soft up to G on top of the staff. And I had to keep the horn on my face just to keep some semblance of, uh, of uh, chops together, you know. Um, uh, when the treatment stopped, I actually had a recording session six weeks later for this Minions movie, The Rise of Gru. You know, it's not out yet, but, uh, and I said, okay, well, I should be, you know, I should be able to play by then. Yeah. And, and yeah, I figured, you know, I figured I wouldn't be 100%, but I'd be able to play. So I started practicing real hard at the end of the treatments. And as the stuff started wearing off a little bit, you know, I started getting better and better. I got to the point where I could play pretty well and I and then they moved this recording session up eight days sooner three days of recording so Ooh. I get in there and I'm uh to be honest with you I'm not not 100 of course so I call the other trumpet players that were on the date and I let them know I just said hey look you know I'm I'm thinking about taking myself off these sessions because I don't know if I'm going to be ready or be able to you know and they said, no, 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 do that, man. Just, you know, play third or fourth trumpet. 
you know, whatever, when the time comes, you'll know what to do and we'll, we'll work it out. So, right. So I didn't tell uh, the contractor or anything. I just, uh, I came in and I, uh, I signed the first trumpet book and they, and I, uh, I let them know that we were going to be splitting the parts up. So we were splitting the first trumpet money up too, because the first trumpet pays double scale. Right. So 200%. So, uh, and I didn't want to be passing parts and, you know, and not earning the money. So, uh, I ended up with John Lewis and I ended up splitting it up and there was some piccolo trumpet. I said, Hey, you got to play this. I haven't touched my piccolo trumpet in four months, you know? And, and uh, uh, so he played some stuff and then I played some stuff and it, it was going pretty well. I felt pretty confident. It, you know, there's a couple of things I didn't want to try to play that were just, you know, uh, some li- like very exposed legit solos that were very long winded and I was short right. of breath, you know? So, mm-hmm. So I had John play those and he sounded magnificent as he always does. And right. Uh, but there was one thing that had a high G on the end of it. And so I said to John, I go, Hey, you got this? And he goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we pay you for. And, uh, and I go, man, well, I hadn't played hit a high G and, and then they decided they wanted to overdub it. So they recorded the track without me. So now I have to sit there and I have to try to hit IG with everybody watching me by myself and the track ran and it was just a little thing like you know whatever it was like that and uh i got it i i i got it one take and it hurt uh road hurt yeah yeah and i was like i went it was a lot of work but i got it and everybody employed my colleagues all know what i'm going through you know right right they gave me a round of applause. And then from the booth, they, cause they, cause in the booth, they don't know what's going on with me. Mm-hmm. You know? So they said, Oh, that was great. Go, can we get one more for safety? And I went, <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> then we just did the one. So yeah, that was yeah. the hardest thing I had to do, you know, in mm-hmm. these minions movies and despicable me movies, it's been the same composer for all of them. And he can write really hard and he writes the rocks to write high stuff for me. And this movie was not as bad. Mm. the last one was really hard this one not as bad just a few things to play so i was able to get through it and actually it gave me after hitting that note and getting through that the next two days seemed easier to me because the pressure was kind of off like oh man okay i'm getting through some hard stuff here i'm gonna be okay right right um i'm still not 100 Mm percent even now right months, months later um so that's why i'm doing pilates and i'm working out and uh and I'm trying to embrace this weight loss because I've lost even more weight since then. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm in a pretty good place weight-wise right now. So mm-hmm. instead of getting big again and bulking up, I want to get strong. Yeah. You know, and meet it that way. So I took a lesson with Bobby Shue a few days ago. Yeah. And uh, and I went back and revisited him. You know, we've you know, we've been friends for years and years and years. And right. like when I'm in trouble, he's my go-to. Yeah, absolutely. No matter what. Yeah. I've circled back to some other stuff. I used to do some stamp, James Stamp stuff, because mm-hmm. I had some dental issues like 30 years ago. And I and I got, anyway, long story, but I was in bad shape and Boyd Hood goes studying with him from the LA Philharmonic and he put me on this stamp regiment and it fixed me, you know? So yeah. I went back to that. I go, hey, this worked before. Let me go back to this stuff again. And I went to a little bit of Caruso that I used to do. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I used to do that at one point I did it a lot, but it used to make me really stiff. So I, you know, stopped doing it. So I started doing it again and it was making me really stiff again. So I, 
I, I just do a little, little small doses of that. Yeah. And some stamp and some uh, some stuff. My buddy Dan Rosenboom here has a book out called The Boom Method, and he has this thing activating the airstream in the first couple of pages. So I do that, and uh, I'm just kind of combining all these things and uh, and practicing like harder than I have in many years. Yeah. I go to my wife's church because it's abandoned right now because of COVID, and I have the keys, so I can go in there and I can practice in a nice room. Yeah. Uh, with without any interruptions. Mm-hmm. If I want to pray, I can pray. You know, whatever, whatever I want to do while I'm in there, you know, practice. I thought I heard somebody say "shut that shit up" while I was in there. <laughs> and it came from above. Well. Uh, I, I, yeah, it's probably because you're in there getting into the communion wine. So, well, I did, yeah, it's funny you should mention that. I wasn't altered there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to spare that story for another day. But um, I did remember tasting communion wine when I was an altar boy because I wanted to know what it tasted like. Well, you know, my dad was a minister. So, you know, I used to go back into the uh, the little storage room where they had the. Uh, the the wine and the crackers and uh you know yeah it's it's odd because i remember the wine was mogan david ours was manischewitz yeah and this in the catholic church though yeah you know? yeah well my uh, mine was an ame you know it's like yeah it's just the cheap shit you know the worst like, wine ever you it's know? like you know come on this is this supposed to be you know god you know this yeah. is for god you know can't you like get a good cabernet or you yeah know? i'm sure when he turned that water into wine you know it was some high-end you know cab yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> it, it, wasn't it, any cheap bullshit. It, it wasn't boone's farm <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah so but you know, I remember the story, Monsignor McGinnis, you know, I was an altar boy. So you'd have to fill the chalice with water and then wine, they would mix it. And then he would do the prayer, you know, and the bells would ring. And, and Monsignor McGinnis, he'd always lift the chalice up like right after you put two drops of water and then you would empty the wine thing into it. <laughs> you know, so, you know, he was, uh, he was getting lit at eight o'clock in the morning, you know. Hey, that's the best part of being a, being a pastor, you know. I'm not judging him at all. I mean, I, you know, I, yeah, you know, who am I to say? But, <laughs> you, know, it, you know, I think this is the, the important thing, Wayne, you know, and if there's, there's one thing that I would hope people get out of what you've gone through, what I've gone through, what, you know, anybody who's gone through, through these kind of catastrophic things. And even the people that like right now, as we're, we're still in the midst of this shit storm that is COVID-19. Yeah, we are. Um, I'm a firm believer that your know, life can either happen to you or happen for you, that you have the choice at every moment, everything that happens it just happens. There's no, there's no rhyme or reason to the universe. You can't sit around freaking out about, well, woe is me. You know, why did this happen to me? It just happens. Shit happens. But what, what's important is what you do, what decisions you make at that moment when things go sideways. Do you choose to fold or do you choose to figure out a way to make that thing that you didn't want happen work to your advantage? Now, I was talking with Bobby recently uh, and we were discussing some other things and we're talking about you, obviously, as most people always talk about you. You're the center of the universe. My Uh, mother thought so, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) but but Bobby was saying how, um, and he wanted me to to express to you uh, how you know, happy is for your, uh, your recovery and, you know, he's wishing you nothing but the best, but the the idea that he's like you know Wayne is a strong-minded individual 
and I have the utmost confidence that Wayne is going to get through this because you know, he's just not going to give up. And I think that so many people, whether it's like in your situation where your, your uh, physical condition created a problem for what you do for a living. And it's the same thing that happened to me. You know, you have, you have to look at it and you have to make a change. Some people choose their changes to give up and other people's change is to look at ways to do what they do more effectively and efficiently. And you're the kind of guy that's going to look for that answer that how can I do this better? How can I pivot? How can I shift to still be able to do what I love, but to do it in a way that that's going to be not destructive to me at this moment. So, you know, when you, when you're going through this and, and your thought processes, as you're going through this, you know, through the treatments, as you're rehabbing yourself uh, in terms of your, your trumpet playing, I mean, what's, what's going through your head at that moment? Well, I mean, a little bit of fear, of course, because now, I, and I've overcome some big obstacles. Um, one was a dental obstacle many, many years ago. And uh, I, I could barely hit a high C. It was once again, not your man, it was a mess. And I, I sought out teachers <laughs> and I started, you know, going after it. And I came out of that a stronger player. I went through in 2009, I lost a bunch of weight because I was going through a divorce. I, I developed a cyst on my top lid, I, lip. I think you remember that. Yeah, right. And it threw me for a loop. And it got to the point, it's a long story, so I won't go through the whole thing, but I had to stop playing for six weeks. And I came through that and I came on out the other side of that, a stronger player and a, you know, a smarter player. So I'm assuming the same thing will happen now. This has been as much of a drag as those things were. This, you know, is a little more serious here. Right. You know, I had the fear for my life uh, because you don't, you never know, man, there's no guarantees with this stuff, you know? So uh, I think I'm a better person outside of this cancer now right because it's a humbling it's a humbling thing man when you're when your life is in the mix and yeah. you know this very well oh, yeah. and i've talked to other people about this you know right uh, and i'm part of a cancer survivor group that's it's cancer that i have we all have the right. same thing we had our meeting last night and even though i don't know all those people real well and some of them are strangers to me we're all in this club yeah and I feel like I'm closer to some of them than I am with people that I actually know really well. Yeah. Because we're sharing the same story and our experiences and, and, uh, and I look forward to those meetings and I was the newbie in yeah. there and they were all telling, they were, you know, telling me what to expect, you know, because I hadn't started yeah. my research yet. Now there's a gal, this gal Lori that was on there and she just finished her radiation treatments. And so it's, you know, I'm able to like share my experiences with her and with the do's and do nots. Right. And, you know, what to expect. And it, it, it's a good feeling to be able to like help somebody maybe get through this a little easier. Yeah. Um, because it's a, you know, it's a kick in the groin. <laughs> It'll bring you to your knees, you know, and, and I think I'm a pretty yeah. tough dude, man, but yeah, these treatments are no joke. All right. And, well, well, speaking, speaking of cancer survivors and members of the club, I want to, want to, bring a special guest in and uh this is kind of a surprise to you so here's a fellow trumpet player fellow conscious survivor the one and only mr jerry hey give it up jerry 
Jerry's connecting to audio. He's going to be with us. Oh, there he is. Jerry, hey, what's up, Jerry? He's, he's connecting to oh, audio. Oh, he's connecting. He's connecting. Technology failing us. There you are. Hey, Jerry. Hey, Wayne. How you doing? Hey, Jose, how are you? All it's right, too- Jerry. How's it going, buddy? Great. So, this is too funny because, you know, we're just talking to Jerry on the phone, checking notes on a, on a part here uh, because we're recording this thing for Bette Midler here uh, and having to do it remotely, unfortunately. And, uh, and so this is a big surprise. <laughs> Jerry, <laughs> I had no idea, man. You were doing this uh, I got you. You did get me, man. Wow. If I don't know Jerry was going to be here, I would have worn a much nicer shirt. I would hope so. And <laughs> I hope you have some good wine. I, well, I, I, I have some wine, but I decided to go to, to because of Jose, because he likes tequila. So I have this. Oh, well, that, that, oh, well that, that'll do the trick. And I haven't a- done this since before I started my treatments. Aha. So I just figured, and this is like a, it's kind of like a sipping tequila. It's kind of got a little sweetness to it. So I figured with Jose, we would, uh, we would do this tonight. Is that cool. some sort of racial comment, Gwen? Uh, um, I'm, I'm like really offended by that. Oh, well, you know what a racist I am. Oh my God. You know? Yeah, I've heard. I've yeah. heard rumors. Because your name's Jose and, and I, you're drinking tequila. I mean, my middle name is Jose, so it's Joseph, but that's Jose, so. So Jerry, uh, thanks for coming in. And, um, you sure. know, we, we're just talking about uh, yeah, some of the stuff that, that uh, Wayne has been going through in terms of just kind of making that adjustment and, you know, facing your mortality, which, you know, as a trumpet player, especially as an elite trumpet player, that's really hard to do to face the, the fact that you are actually destructible. Um, so, you know, I, I know that you have gone through your own uh, health issues and things like that. So, um you know, what kind of advice would you be able to give, not just to Wayne, I mean, because, you know, Wayne, Wayne doesn't take advice from anybody, but, <laughs> but what kind of advice would you be able to give just anyone, and specifically trumpet players, uh, you know, in, in how to deal with these kind of inevitable setbacks that, that, that we're going to face at some point along our career? Yeah, well, you know, sooner or later, everybody's um, not going to be first trumpet. You know, that, you know, it's where it kind of starts. And then you run into a brick wall with an injury and who knows where that's going to end up, you know? So some, some, you just have to get in there and fight it out as best you can. Hopefully you come out the other end, like I think Wayne is going to. And sometimes you don't, like I didn't, you know, I didn't make it out the other end quite as well as I was hoping to, but you know, I'm alive. I feel great. My, all my test numbers and everything are great. So, you know, you can only do what you can do. Um, and you know, live each day as best you can. Yeah. You know, as we get older, you know, I'm 62. I'm still the young guy though, for the most part, (laughs) you know, uh, but I've always been, uh, as far as trumpet playing anyway, I've always felt I'm pretty invincible, you know, when I'm playing. I mean, not the greatest trumpet player, but as far as being on the bandstand and being the last man standing, uh, you know, playing endurance-wise, you know, when I play in Gordon Goodwin's band, I always make it to the end of the second set and everybody's crashing and burning and, and struggling. And I, and I, and I, and somehow, so... 
being hit with something like this, you know, and as I get older, I'm not as invincible as I used to think I was, you know, um, and so I'm rethinking, I rethink a lot of things now. And so you'd mentioned earlier, you know, about just trying to become more efficient uh, through the different tragedies that I've gone through, the my dental thing and this cyst and now this, um, and we try to reinvent ourselves and, and, and just age alone could present a lot of factors, you know, but then you, you add an illness or an injury to that and we don't heal as fast as we get older, you know? So it's a, this is a, this, this is a big, is a challenge for me and playing wise, I'm, I'm doing pretty, pretty good. I mean, I don't, uh, some things have changed in my playing a little bit uh, from this and there are things I'm going to have to adapt to. Um, but I think I'll come out of the other side of this uh, at least as strong as I was before I went in. That's, that's how the trajectory is going right now for me. Um, I'm practicing really hard right now. I'm going at, I go, like I said, I go to the church where my wife's had to get in there, I can get, and I've been practicing three, four hours a day and just going at it, you know, and, yeah. uh, and I'm, I'm seeing the improvement, but the arc has slowed down. I used to come bounce back faster. And this is a, this is a butt kicker for me. Yeah. I know, Jerry, you weren't playing when you went going through, but you, can you imagine trying to play going through all that, the chemo and, you know. Uh, no, I didn't. Well, I was still playing a little bit during my first round of chemo. You were, okay. Yeah, I was. Uh, and, and yeah, it, it was no fun, that's for sure. But I didn't have any radiation. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, it, it's, you know, it just takes everything you got just to make it through all of the treatments. You know, let alone trying to play the trumpet, which is yeah. hard enough. I gave up on it for three weeks because I just got so sick. I was like, the trumpet, forget it. You know, it's like, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's kind of funny because, you know, the, the idea of, you know, life is, is you, you experience life in the moment, but that's, you know, that's where you're living it. But it's the past that kind of gives it meaning and the future is what gives it purpose. So I think sometimes, especially when we're younger and, you know, actually I'm the young guy. I can't believe I'm saying this. I'm the young guy of this group. Um, Watch it. Watch it. I respect my elders. Um, but the thing is, is that, that, that it's the context that we get from the experiences. And, you know, it's like when you're younger, you don't have those experiences. So you can't really appreciate the things that you have. And, and as we get to that point in our lives where we have had these sometimes not go so good, but sometimes really fantastic experiences that we have context for our lives. And I think for, for you, Wayne, and I think, and, and Jerry, especially, you know, you and I have talked, you know, in, in our interview together and, and stuff that, you know, you guys have made such tremendous contributions and sometimes when you're in the middle of it you don't really understand the context and it's not until you're on the other side of it that you can kind of look back that you know it's it's being able to appreciate the things that you have been able to do in the past and then look at what can I contribute at this moment given the the skills the abilities the opportunities that I have at this moment how can I adjust my perspective? Because what you can do at, at, at 50 or 60 or 70 is different than what you could do at 20. 
how can I adjust and how can I use my skills, my experience, my knowledge, my wisdom? How can I use that to more, to create a deeper impact? And I think for most of us, unfortunately, it takes these kind of dramatic and traumatic experiences to help us to realize that deeper calling. So, you know, how, how do you guys both view uh, how the, 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 and I hate to say negative because I don't think anything is negative. I think it's, it's just how you approach it. It's not what you wanted to have happen, but how did something that you didn't want to have happen that happened to you present you an opportunity to do something even greater than you thought you were capable of doing? Well, for me, it was, I mean, this, it, my, my, uh, issues started in the mid 80s really i had a tumor on my throat and uh so that was kind of the the beginning of a you know of of a time that i had to do a really deep search you know into you know what what's going to happen next um so you know i decided to buckle down and say okay I'm going to play trumpet. I'm going to practice 10 hours a day and I'm going to be so physically good that I can get over any of the other circumstances that I did. So, you know, I did that for a while. I did that for three or four years, just serious practicing and serious uh, physical exercise and eating really well. I was in seriously great shape in mid to late eighties. And that was, I was able to overcome any physical problems that the tumor was causing. Um, but then it got to the point that you, you can only do that so long without really killing yourself. Um, and, you know, I, I took a look at, it, it basically came down to Quincy for me again, you know, as, as amazing as that is, you know, Quincy had a double aneurysm uh, when he was 41 or something like that. Oh my God. Um, and, you know, he played trumpet. And, you know, I said, you know, okay, Quincy doesn't play trumpet anymore. He's doing okay. I can do okay if I don't play trumpet like I used to play trumpet. You know, I can, and because of Quincy, you know, he got me on the arranging thing you know, and look where that led, you know, I would have never done that. Would it not have been for, well, sea wind, Quincy. Right. Um, so, you know, you have to take, t- take what's given to you, you know, if a door opens and you know, that w- one door kind of on its way closed and, you know, you got to walk through another door yeah. and, you know, thank God for the pencil. Cause you know, that's, <laughs> you know, that's, made it for me really right right hey jerry your your tumor you know because i didn't know you in the 80s but your tumor was it it wasn't cancerous though was it it was not uh i had it you had it removed or something right no i did not the the i went to the head of uh eye ear nose throat guy doctor in the world who was at ucla and this guy was Dizzy Gillespie's doctor, and he had a, an X-ray film of Dizzy Gillespie playing. Oh, my God. 
Yeah, crazy stuff. So, you know, I told him about it. You know, and I did, I had a fine needle biopsy done so that, you know, they pulled out this needle literally <laughs> this long. You probably know that way. Well, they didn't do that with mine. They, uh, oh. they stuck uh, the, the camera down my nose and then they went through with some calipers that go like that. And they did the biopsy by snipping it out. They numb my throat and then snip the biopsy. Yeah, Wayne's this not familiar good. with anything that's longer than about this much. <laughs> <laughs> no, my thing wasn't that it was curved. It was you know, this thing went down. south very fast. <laughs> it was the Bill Clinton model. <laughs> um, but you know, they they yeah, they did a fine needle biopsy on it and it was malignant. And then he said, you know, he I said, Well, what do I do? And he said, Well, we can you know, we can go in here, that's a real risky operation, or we can sever your windpipe and your vocal cords and we'll, then we'll be right there. And I said, that doesn't sound like a good idea to me. Yeah. You know, I'd be speaking like Miles Davis. <laughs> um, so I basically said, you know, okay, I'm gonna see if I can beat this and you know, then, and then that's when I started, you know, serious exercise, serious practicing, went back to see Mr. Adam in Indiana several times to see what he could do. And, you know, I, I just, I got physically so strong that I could overcome the feeling of, of because it was really messing with my air and stuff um, that, you know, I, I could just kind of be above that. Right. You know, we, I did Roger Rabbit with London Symphony and I would go out and I ran five miles at five o'clock in the morning before the session and then practice for two hours before the session just to get to the session to be able to be able to play what I was going to have to play. Wow. So, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty funky. But, you know, that was, that was my commitment at the time. And, you know, you have to do stuff like that at, at certain times in your life. Just make that commitment, do it. You know, if it works out, great. And if it doesn't, move on. I'm kind of doing not as extreme as you, but I, I, I started taking Pilates. I'm, uh, I'm doing 60 sit-ups a day. And I'm trying to embrace my new weight because I'm way thinner, you know, now. And, uh, and instead of putting the weight back on, I'm trying to get strong here. So I'm kind of, I'm going at it pretty hard, just going, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to exercise, yep. you know, and, and, uh, and do it that way. And, uh, and hopefully, you know, that will be, uh, that'll have positive. It seems to be having a positive in, uh, outcome. So already did this shrink, Jerry, did it, did the tumor shrink? Did they, uh, uh, you know, I haven't, I had, when I went back in 2009, when I went in for my cancer and I had and some MRIs, I had them do my neck. They didn't see anything. Oh, okay. So, but it's still, you know, I I had Tom Walsh came in, Rashawn has come here. They want to take a lesson. You can't say, you know, well, your sound, that's not the right sound. You know, this is what it's supposed to sound like. You got to play. Got to demonstrate. So I tried to play and it's, I can't. It just, it's like fingernails on my throat on, from that. Something it got messed up and it feels like my air is going from here around the side this way. And it wow. just hurts like crazy. 
Yeah. I had a little bit of that. Uh, I, we talked about this when I was playing. You told me you were warning me, be careful, be careful, be careful. Don't play too hard too soon. Yeah. And I, and I was pretty careful about all of that. Um, when I swallow, I mean, I can, there's some scar tissue in there. I can, can just feel it when I swallow. My neck doesn't feel tight anymore and I don't have pain anymore. That's but good. it's a different feeling when I play than it used to be as far as my neck, you know. I, I, uh, I heard notice your neck used to puff out pretty well. You know, it's a, but you know, when I was going through the treatments, my muscles got so tight from the radiation that my neck couldn't expand and it hurt when I played because wow. it couldn't, because it couldn't expand. I mean, this has been, I, this uh, Lorenzo seal, I think it's called, or, uh, yeah. it went when I was in, in, uh, in high school. So I've been, I've had a bulging neck since then, you know, it's never, I've never hurt myself. I've, I kind of played with my head down to support things a little bit, but it's never really caused any issues health wise or anything. Uh, hey, yeah. Well, yeah. Hey, Wayne, speaking of bulges, we have another oh guest that wants to join us. The one and only from all the way from New York late night with David Letterman show. Mr. Frank Green is joining us tonight as Aww, well. This is another nice surprise here. So. Hey, hey, can you guys hear me? Yeah, we can. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, how are you all? Get rid of that stupid background. Jesus. <laughs> I was trying to find Dodgers Stadium. It wouldn't let me do it. Yeah. <laughs> Should have been the Lakers. Frank, have you met Jerry before? No, it'll be the first time. How are you? Great. How are you? Good. It's fine. Nice to be Tom, Tom Malone talk. Frank is an old friend of mine, man. And actually, we met. I told the story the other night, but we met in front of the Paramount and Edison Hotel, which were right next to each other. He was on the road with Woody Herman and I was with Maynard. And uh, we met out front and uh, he was telling him his woes about, you know, the tour and- And, and, and Roger. We've, and we've been friends ever <laughs> since since then. I mean, we've just kept in touch and and uh, and played on, got to play several times together. And every, whenever I'm in New York, he's my first call, man. And we hang out and and uh, he's a great, great swing and lead player, man. and. Uh, and uh, one of my old favorites of all time. I mean, Frank, yeah. Frank is a real deal. Man. Frank is real, but you know what? There, there are so many people that want to show some love to you tonight, and we've got another one joining us from the Midwest, uh -huh. Mr. Walter. Oh, Holy moly. We got a, now we got a trumpet section here. Hey, guys. <laughs> hey, Walter. Hey, Walter. Hi, Wayne. Hi, I'm good, man. What are you doing, man? Great, man. Awesome to see you, man. Really, really great news, dude. Thanks, man. Your CD, man, is ridiculous. Oh, thanks, man. I, it is ridiculous. I, I mean, this guy, Jerry, has, you know, he's got Maynard's chops and Freddie Hubbard's fingers and ideas. Yeah. And yeah, he's, got, know, he's got it in a jar. 
<laughs> he really does, man. And I'm, uh, and you know, he's absolutely just, you know, we sent somebody out there to like, you know, put a little hurt on him. Yeah, yeah. he needs to somebody <laughs> to take this, take this guy out of the picture. Man. Well, well, he break, writes, he's a great writer lips. as well. Yeah, well, I, it's, I, I know Johnny Trudell, and he's he's tight with the Detroit Mafia here. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> hold on. Yeah, so Wayne, I've, I've you know, there's still like three or four tunes that you played on that I I, I didn't even put on the first record. So um, yeah. I'm so Walter sent me some tracks to play. So him and I did the, the I did first and third, and he did second and fourth, and he played solo parts, you know, and yeah. And, uh, to avoid and, the phasing and just to make it better. Yeah, yeah, it sounded it came out really fun and. Walter can write hard too, Jerry. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> I'd be happy to yeah. send it to you, Jerry, if you want. I'd want to hear it. I, I can send you a link to it if you want to listen. Yeah, to absolutely. It. Yeah. Um, but that was to, to Wayne. I, I, I kind I kind of threw this together behind your back because you guys are gonna make me cry, man. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, you little bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but but here's here's the thing. Here's the thing, Wayne. You know. Uh, like I said, you know, so many people have been messaging me and it's like, they think I've got a direct line to Wayne Bergeron, but not, not really. I have to go through Frank Green for all of these things. <laughs> but, um, you know, you, you have impacted the lives of so many trumpet players. Um, and this, in, in, in so many ways that we talked about earlier, this brings a level of humanity to things because this allows you to connect to people on a, on a level that that uh -huh. other players can't. So, uh, but I I, th I thought thought it was very important for you uh, to to feel a little bit of the love of the people. You know, it, it's you know, and it's not the fanboy thing because you know I you know you know me I don't really care. But <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but I mean you have you have names like Jerry Hay. Jerry is without a doubt one of the most influential players and just the figures in terms of popular music and specifically for trumpet players you know jerry jerry is the man you know you and i have had several conversations about the impact jerry's had on us as as musicians and you know just our love of music you, know, you have frank who's done so much in terms of you know, exposure of trumpet like you know his, his years on the the late night uh with david letterman show and all the other work these great done the work that he's done with uh you know bands like maynard and woody and uh, Walter, who's also just this, this tremendous talent who you know, transcends, uh, you know, what, what most people think about in terms of the, the, the possibilities of trumpet. You know, all of these people feel a deep affection for you. So I just want you to appreciate the, the fact that you have made not just the trumpet world a little bit better, but you've made the world a little bit better just by being who you are. So... Thank you guys for joining us tonight for the hang. And Wayne, this is this is all about you, buddy. Thank you, man. That's like that's about the sweetest thing anybody's ever done for me, you know. So uh, it's very appreciated, and uh, and uh, you guys all know how I feel about you. Well, Frank, and that's another story. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, but that was that was three days in prison. You get lonely, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but we got close. I mean. <laughs> And it's good having some protection in prison too. That kind of thing. That's a different kind so, of colonoscopy. We won't get into that. So, you know, you were talking uh -oh. earlier. You were talking earlier about, uh, you know, this has changed. Uh, cancer has changed my life uh, 
in a positive way because I feel like I'm a different person now. I feel, uh, and I don't know, I feel I'm more emotional about things all of a sudden. Um, I value life more. I look forward to retirement more. You know, I'm only 62, but I'm, I'm going, ah, man, let me tell you something. If I won that lottery tomorrow, they'd be going, whatever happened to Wayne Bergeron? <laughs> because you would never see me again. My wife and I would run off to Fiji or wherever and, and go enjoy life. And, and uh, I mean, a trumpet's important to me, you know, but it's, it's not the most important thing anymore. And it used to be, it used to be like work and man, I got to work, I know. And I'm, who, why is such and such not calling me anymore? And, you know, and that now I don't think about too much, you know, uh, because nobody's calling me right now, except for Jerry calling me. Triple scale today. See, Jerry's bitching already. Come on. What a, what a prima donna. Jeez. He would do it for double scale. <laughs> I'd do it for half scale. Come on. So, so, you know, work has been, uh, was slow anyway, because the pan now things are picking up a little bit. We've got a few things happening here and there, but you know what? Yeah. I'm not even sweating it anymore. I was kind of freaked out at the beginning of this. And um, I mean, and getting this good news, best Thanksgiving ever for me, yeah. you know, so. And for us, and for us oh, as well. well yeah, that news, yeah. thanks. Not for everybody. Not everybody feels the way you do. <laughs> yeah, well, only we only know one person. Actually, yeah, to be honest well, with you, I feel like I know Jerry. Uh, uh, I feel like I know Jerry because Tom talked about the, the name Jerry Hay came up in, 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 in Letterman about every 15 minutes. I mean, he, uh-huh. Tom Malone. You should know Tom Malone really loves you. I mean, he, yeah, no, and I do him too. He, and he talks about you to me all the time too. So, well, that was four days in prison. So that's a whole different. <laughs> hey, so, so Frank, just so you know this, I don't know if you know, but when uh, when the trumpet chair changed on the Letterman show, Tom actually called me because I don't think even think he knew you at that time. Yeah. And he called me and he asked if I'd be interested in auditioning. And I go, well, I'd be relocating to New York. Yeah. And, you know, and uh, and so I said, oh, man, thanks. That's very sweet of you. But, uh, but uh, you know, there's other, you know, there's other players in New York and I'm not going to move to New York. And then he told me he was going to call you. And you're the only person that auditioned. Went, no. No, you auditioned and you got the gig. They didn't. Paul said, "Well, let's just use this guy." Well, my mom, my else. mom wrote a fat check at the uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and then we, I talked to Paul about you, and we did the uh, uh, we did the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame out here mm-hmm. a few years ago, and uh, and Bill Rockenbach and I and Tom Scott and Cipriano and Chris Lee were the horn section, and because uh, he was too, they were too cheap to bring you guys out, his band, you know. <laughs> And, uh, but I talked to Paul about you quite a bit when we were there. He just said, oh, man, what a great player. And he couldn't, couldn't ask for a nicer guy because you were fairly new on the show at that point. Oh, yeah. Well, I just know it's nice to go full circle with this with this group because I know, like I said, I probably heard. I probably I probably feel like I know you way more than you probably would be comfortable with me knowing you because Tom, Tom literally talked about you every day. So, he, you know, you should, I just want you to know because now that Tom's not here to, to like, you know, to lie. <laughs> yeah, he, he, now, yeah. You know, Tom and I go back. It, it was so crazy. The bass trombone player, I that. Woody's <laughs> band, when I was on, it was Don Switzer, and he left the band. And yeah. all of a sudden, this guy comes on, 
playing bass trombone. Okay, cool. And I'm practicing in the back room, warming up. He says, let me see your trumpet. He plays bass trombone, starts on, you know, bah, 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 da, 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 let me see your trumpet. Da, 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 da. <laughs> know, who are you? Yeah, it's, it's sickening, right? It's <laughs> uh, crazy. But, you know, of course, I knew him through Gary. You know, they went to school. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tom Malone sure. was Gary Grant's best man. At That's right, yeah. So, yeah, so we, we go back to then. And then it was, a. I, I did the last waltz with Tom. Yep, yep. Uh, you know, so yeah, we've had done a few things together and super guy and he was out here a couple of years ago and we had dinner and then I had, I made dinner here at my house. I had to open good wine for him and everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause Tom, he, at his apartment, he had that, he had the apartment right by the show and he would have these big, huge, super magnums of wine. It's like it replaced the furniture in his apartment. So he, <laughs> you, you know, Tom. Yeah. Oh. Uh. But it's it's great to, to see, you know, so many people think about, uh, especially in, in the lead trumpet world, because, I mean, you, you look at this this list of guys, you know, you got Wayne Bergeron, you've got Jerry Hay, you got Frank Green, you got Walter White, all of you guys, none of you guys can hold a candle to me in terms of lead your lead trumps, but um, just kidding. With that, We've but, all got better hair than you. Yeah, and, well... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> number one but you know it, it's the thing that that this is not about you know uh, like this ego kind of centric thing it's a it's a brotherhood it's a fraternity and you know we all love each other and we all respect each other and we all want to see each other uh you know just really shine and just do so much great and yeah, you know, I'm just I'm so happy to be able to facilitate this uh, in so many little ways. But um, you know, like Frank, you know, your your ability to to be like the connector in so many ways with uh with you know Jerry and, and Wayne and and Tom and and Walter, you know, all of your experiences. So uh, I, here's what I want to do. I want to do this real quick uh, because um, yeah, I've got a couple got a couple of the people that are trying to get in here, and we're, we're trying to work out some technical issues. Uh -oh. So yeah, Frank uh, and I played together um, on Maynard's band, right? And and Woody's band. We played together on Woody's band. On Maynard's band, you left me high and dry, Walter. Thanks. That's right. I, <laughs> before, yeah, it was just a couple Woody gigs, right? Sorry, bro. Well, yeah, yeah, Maynard. Maynard, think he said, and uh, you two can never work. At, and um, what was I talking about? <laughs> had my story card punched enough times by then oof yeah i hear you there <laughs> so go ahead jose sorry man no i was just i was just saying that you know uh yeah you guys have all you know, you're, you're all you you all got your battle scars and you know we've been talking wayne and jerry have been talking about yeah how um the, the lessons that have been learned through the years and particularly in terms of dealing with with life-threatening diseases like you know like cancer uh and while i know frank and you know you frank and and walter you have not have you have not had thank god you have not had that experience and let's let's pray to god that you don't have to have to deal with this question well my mom died of cancer when i was in when i was in a, i was right before i went on woody's band and my dad told me that she had cancer and i flew to california from tech from denton from dallas and she died a day and a half later so i mean i i have a i have a bit of a bit of experience with it, you know, because she suffered it before we knew. But by the time I found out, it was I saw her for a day and a half. So it's a it, it's a horrible, despicable thing. So I'm I don't want to tear up, but I'm glad you guys are here. You know, 
Yeah. You, well, yeah, you yeah, and yeah. Wayne and Jerry and and and, and uh, Tom alone. I mean, three people that would, the, the planet would not spin quite right if you guys weren't here. Yeah. Well, the, you know, and the, the thing is that you know, as you know, being a cancer survivor myself, is you know, trying to help people to understand that you know, it certainly that you know, when, when you have something that goes sideways, it helps you to understand the importance of life. But it's so much better if you can figure that out before shit goes sideways. <laughs> so I, w- when you look back at your life and, and, you know, if you're able to think about things that, that may you go, you know, hey, this is really a blessed life or these are the things that when I was younger, I wish I had really considered the importance of what are some of the things that, that you would want to say to like those younger players who feel like they're invulnerable or feel like they're, you know, they're never going to have an illness. They're, ne- they're never going to have chop issues. They're never going to have to go through, you know, some of the stuff that, that we've all had to experience just because of our ages. What are some of the things that you wish that, you know, this new generation of trumpet players that are, that are, that are emerging what are some of the lessons that you would want them to learn to help to put them in the best position to move the art of trumpet playing forward? Uh, I don't know, man. I'll just jump in. I mean, uh, besides like absorbing all music when you're young and getting all the styles in, into your head, I, I think it's something that I didn't get uh, a lot of education in was the the business part of of music you know i was so concerned with being a great trumpet player and a great musician that <clears throat> when it came time to taking care of business like i wish i had the acumen that that jerry and and wayne have you know and uh, you know i i can't tell people to fuck off walter all the time <laughs> <laughs> it feels good. I'll try to use that more. <laughs> yeah, nobody ever like like it really hit me to that that whole thing, you know. Not only about the music business, but it, life in general, you know. And it was just like I I was in my little artistic bubble all the time, and you know that was great for for be, be, becoming a great artist. But it's like, you know, kind of I wish I was in a better better. Uh, place you know uh in at my at, at my stage of life being 57 58 whatever uh for, for retirement and all that that i didn't really have that in place when i was a young man you know when i first started out did jose split or is he no. <laughs> oh we're I trapped know. here for eternity He's up or something he didn't want to do that so but that's yeah anyway well i think so, that for me, it was you know, studying with Mr. Adam. This guy was just the best person you could possibly meet. And he tr- treated everybody with the same kind of respect that you would expect to be treated, regardless of who you are, how great a player you were, how bad a player you were. He <laughs> just treated everybody the same. And then coming and meeting Quincy and seeing that same thing from him, the, the guy who was take, you know, cleaning up the coffee cups in the studio, he would be as genuine with him as he would be with Michael Jackson, you know, and to like treat people, you know, mm-hmm. if you can treat people like that, th- that's, for me, that was a, the, like a serious learning experience for me from both of those guys. I've always tried to, uh, you know, live my life that way because I've seen 
many people who remain nameless that might be famous. And I watch how they treat waiters mm -hmm. or waitresses. You know, they talk down to them or whatever, you know, and if somebody's not as important. And so I've always tried to treat everybody equally uh, that way as well. And that's a quite a, a, a great lesson to teach younger people to be to be humble. I always, my, my line is always, look, you play the trumpet, you're not curing fucking cancer. <laughs> you're not that important, you know? So lose the bullshit and be the best player you can be and enjoy playing music and treat people well. And if, uh, you know, especially if somebody's at a young age, like you get a, you get a 15 year old trumpet player that's exceptional, right? Well, they're not really ready for that, you know? And so their ego is huge. And they're like, look what I can do, especially with the trumpet, you know, my God, you know? And so they treat their colleagues at their same age like shit, you know, instead of, and I've had this talk with a few young trumpet players over the years that uh, remain nameless also, because you probably know who they are. But I've called them on that. And I said, look, man, why don't you mentor one of the, you know, help them, you know, instead of like, you know, pulling rank with your ego, you know, so that's something I try to ingrain into all students that I come across to be a nice person, treat everybody equally, because that comes back, you know, it comes back to you later, man. I, I'm, I believe in karma, man. And, and, uh, and I, in my own experience, when I was younger working at Disneyland, hey, Dan and Gordon, I had a lot of people. There was a lot of egotistical trumpet players there. Name but, one. I'm not going to. I'll get to that in a minute. Name Frank Green. Frank Green. But people that thought they were, they you always felt like they thought yeah. they were a little bit better than you and they looked down their nose at you because you were the new person or whatever. And frankly, I've passed all those players up on the, on the, um, the ladder to success. And I'm so, still here. and I, and I, and I have to come down, and I, and I, I come down the ladder once in a while just to step on their fingers and go, you remember, that? Mm -hmm. oh, you remember how you treated me? All right. Okay, it's okay. Come on up, man. All right. For those of you, for those, for those of you who are only on the audio feed of this, shame on you. But we have just been joined by Dan Finero, Dan, who is uh, the wingman, oftentimes for Wayne Bergeron. So basically, he's the guy that 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 props Wayne up when he's shitting himself, basically, and uh, the man who, who challenges. Wayne on a consistent basis, one of the greatest arrangers, composers uh, for big band music that there is in the business today, Mr. Gordon Goodwin. So thanks, mm -hmm. gentlemen, for joining this hang. What's up? Yo, Dan and Gordon. All right, so before before I lose my spot in the line of this thing, uh, my, mine is really simple. I feel like if everyone could know Clark Terry as soon as possible, then you wouldn't really need to do much else because Clark had a head for a lot of things. He he suffered, you know, he and, and Joe Wilder, they suffered a lot of injustice just because, you know, they just look different. And they're able to be joyous and be happy in spite of the fact that that's happening. And I feel like if you have those guys for mentors, a lot, you just, you can't possibly have an ego when you play with Clark Perry. I mean, it's just not possible. Frank, you'll you never feel this, like you're the best. Do you have this book, Frank? Of course, it's a great book, right? With, with what, Joe, book is that, what is that, Wayne? Joe Wilder. Joe, Joe Wilder. It's a great oh. book. It's, you know, you get, you really learn a lot about what Frank's talking about right here. By so, you know, one of the things that I really loved about playing in the Dizzy Gillespie band here in New York was because um, James Moody was in the band and um, Slide Hampton was playing lead trombone and Jimmy Heath and Frank West were in the saxophone section. 
So just that hang alone made it made it so nice. It's like a it's like a mentorship band. It's like I wasn't sure if it was a gig or a, a mentorship session. So man, I'm so thankful to have those guys because I think, like I said, when it's just impossible to think that you're the you're the best at anything because, like you said, we're not curing cancer and all at the same time we get to do something that's really fun. I think that people sometimes lose sight of that, you know. Yeah, anybody that's met James Moody, you know, you want to find out what being nice to everybody is all about. You know, uh, I, I never met Frank West or these, but I'm sure they were all just kind of the same kind of mold, you know. All the like, same, yep, slide same way. Everyone's the same. James Moody's kissed me better than most women I've met in my life. Yeah. <laughs> and, then you, and then you smell, then you smell like James that, that, That's only three, like right? <laughs> Yeah, but it's only been a couple hours. Yeah, my wife would say, she I kissed James Moody, and for six hours, I smell like James Moody. Because <laughs> <laughs> he'd wear all those oils, you know, and it's like, yeah. well, hey, you know, Frank, right. hey, Frank, have you read uh, Clark uh, Biography? Because Clark Terry's? Clark Terry's, yeah. Because yeah, what house. you're I've talking about is so, it's so um, uh, relevant because you can see the kind of injustice, racism, and things that he had to endure in his life and for him to go through that and still be the man that he was and the generous open spirit is really a it's really saying something oh yeah well i used to tease him i said you know i think i know why you're so nice every day you wake up in the morning you look in the mirror and you realize you're clark terry <laughs> <laughs> you're like oh we're good <laughs> well but, but see frank that's a really great point because for so many people that are that are tuning into this podcast um they're looking at this and they're going, well, yeah, it's easy for you to feel this way because you're Frank Green, you're Walter White, you're Gordon Goodwin, you're Dan Frenero, you're Wayne Bergeron, you're Jerry Hay, you're all of these, you know, people that, that we as, you know, these humble grassroots musicians that we look up to. It's so easy for you to look at music and business and life as being this special thing because you've achieved what we want to achieve but people don't grasp the idea that you know you guys have paid the dues you know you you've yeah but if i was jerry stuff. hey if i was jerry hey i wouldn't even be on this call right now just with your wine locker alone i wouldn't even be wasting time with this well, well, I, well honestly frank i wish you were jerry hey so you could get off the call so just, just <laughs> well, i gotta just throw in a clark find story. The bridge well I'll throw a clark clark story here. um uh when i was when i was uh, uh taking trumpet lessons in junior high I asked my trumpet teacher, you know, I want to hear this jazz. I'm listening to Doc Severinsen, Maynard, and Chase and stuff. And who do I, who should I listen to for, you know, for jazz? And uh, he said, Clark Terry. And I said, who's that, right? So he said, well, go buy this record. So I went out and bought this record. And he played uh, Donna Lee on this record, which I had never heard before. And it was, it seemed like he was punging every, no, it was just ridiculously fast and clean and ridiculous. And I just, I couldn't get my head around it. It was unbelievable. You fast forward to 1983, I'm on Woody's band and we're playing in uh, Nice on the big outdoor stage and uh, at the festival and Clark Terry's our guest artist and he comes out there and they had Paul Mazio and, and Mark Lewis were the, the soloists in the band. I was playing first trumpet and, uh, and he, he, he uh, uh, Woody looked up at me and said, you, and he pointed to me and said, come on down and, and blow with Clark. <laughs> <laughs> which is really not the best idea and uh and i got down there and so you know i did my thing best i could and it was completely overwhelmed by it all 
and uh, he was couldn't have been more gracious as he completely carved my ass, man. <laughs> <laughs> He was very yeah, nice. He was kicking my ass all over the stage. Honest yeah. <laughs> <a> God, <laughs> it was something else, man. I was like, "Wow, there's my big moment with my first, you know, unreal." Anyway. Wow. But but well, Woody Woody was Woody was funny. He was kind of a little bit mean like that, right? He would know that we got two guys that can really love to be here. So let's get the guy that doesn't want to be here to come solo. Because Woody <laughs> had that little bit of an evil streak. Remember that he would. I, I he didn't would do, feel that. Would, Woody would Roger, you know Roger Ingram tends to hang over a little bit past the cutoff, as we all know. No, just, just no. going to say that now. The reason I'm saying this is so we were doing a fan for for the common man, and Woody had just had enough, and so he waited. So he went to that last score, and Woody has his hands up. He turns around and faces the audience as he did, right? And then uh, he waits for Roger to reattack the note. So the second Roger reattacked the note, Woody cut the tune off, and he, <laughs> he, and he turned around, looked at Roger, pointed to him, went. <laughs> <laughs> so I've heard that story. you know what he, he had that in him you know we we know that he had that in him so well, yeah. <laughs> anyway wayno uh so i was i was told that the purpose of this gathering is to uh uh for you to talk about your cancer recovery and all of that and i'm sure that happened in the 45 minutes before i got here but you know it uh you know hell we're all just so happy for you man and uh oh, man, you know you've come back in a great way we've, we've had the opportunity to play together a little bit in the last few weeks man and, and you know you're back on its ass and it's uh, it's really something, man. Really inspiring, man. Thanks, man. And, uh, did you talk at all about the moment you, when you found out that you were cancer? Uh, well, I didn't tell the story of what happened. So, on the on the ninth, I had my PET scan, and two days later, I got the results. But I was on a recording session, and uh, uh, we were just coming back from lunch, and you know, it was a, it was a just a brass section because it was uh, the COVID thing. We were social distance at uh, at Fox, and. Uh, I come back from lunch, I sat down and I look at my phone and it's Kaiser calling. And, like, and I told the contractor, Dan Savon, I go, Dan, I go, I have to take this call. This is just after the lunch break. I think. Yeah. And he goes, oh yeah, go, we'll wait for you. We'll wait. You know, so I, so I go outside and I'm out there for six, seven minutes, whatever. And, and, uh, and I get the, I get the, the news and I come back and everybody's staring at me, you know, and I come back with my head down kind of, and I went like, yeah, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and then I went and walked over to my seat and I cried for 10 minutes, you know, so. It was unbelievable, man. I mean, he was, he just wept and people were screaming. The room was erupting. There was no, there was no recording going on. It just took over the whole thing. So it was, it was a beautiful, uh, you know, beautiful moment. But I want to tell you about the phone call because I can tell you about poor doctor etiquette. So my doctor, one of my doctors, because <laughs> at the Kaiser, you never see the same fucking doctor twice, you know, every time. oh, who are you? Oh, I guess, all right, you're in charge of me now, you know. Uh, he calls it this is Dr. Vasquez, who I had met before. And he said, uh, we got the results of your, uh, of your PET scan. And um, well, we see some residual activity, which is normal. And uh, your PET scan is, is uh, clean. And I'm glad I was able to bring you this good news today. You know, Now, rewind. The way that should have gone is, Hi, Wayne, this is Dr. Vasquez. I have some great news for you. Your PET scan, you know, came up clean. Um, there's some residual activity, which is very normal um, that we see in the background and uh, congratulations. That's how that should have went. Because when he paused, I'm like, I'm going for a butt. I'm going, wow, I got to walk back in and tell everybody, you know, uh, they didn't get this and, you know, and, uh, 
so it's just their etiquette sometimes is so lame they just forget they're talking to a human being and give me the good news tell me it's good news first or tell me it's bad news right away either, either way you know i want i want to know so uh, that's how that went down and uh who's the guy and, uh, on the screen there who's that we got trouble coming on here oh now this is oh, real oh, trouble oh this is I tell you right. what, oh, no. shit has just gotten real, ladies and gentlemen. It has just got real. Gary Grant uh -huh. is in the house. Hey, thank you so much for hanging with us today. This podcast is all about creating connection through our mutual love for the trumpet life. I hope that you learned a few things about today's guest and had some laughs along the way. Don't forget to give us a review. We love those five-star ratings. And please share this podcast with your friends. We want to see our hang grow for show. Have a suggestion for a future topic or a guest? Hit me up at thetrumpetgurus at gmail.com. Our opening theme was written and performed by Lexi Signor, and all other music comes courtesy of The Greatest Funeral Ever. So in the words of W.C. Handy, life is like a trumpet. If you don't put anything into it, you don't get anything out. So go out there and let your trumpet sound. And I'll see you at the next hang.